Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of Lit AF Relationships with me, your host, Sarah Cohan. As always, I'm so excited to be back here with you this week talking about relationships. I am a relationship and communication coach, and I have found that attachment theory has actually helped me to create a solid, secure base within myself that I can use in all of my relationships in my life. That's romantic, friendships with my family, coworkers, bosses, clients, all of those wonderful relationships that we love so much and are such a high need for humans. We have a high need to be in community. So on this week, I'm so excited to share a podcast episode that I was recently on. It's called The podcast is called Of The Essence with Liz Walsh. And we have such an amazing conversation. It aired in December on her podcast. And I just wanted to share it with y'all because what I loved about this conversation is that Liz is so open and honest about patterns that she experienced in her past relationships. And so that really helped me to be able to explain the different like spectrum of attachment styles and how they show up and how your attachment style can change. She actually talks about how she experienced kind of a change with her attachment style, especially in her job. So it's a juicy one. But of course, before we get into the episode, as always, I have my weekly check-in. And today I actually have, this is kind of wild, but I am quitting sugar and flour. And before you hit pause and stop and listen to something else, because you're like, this is clearly not a body positive episode or sorry, uh, podcast. Let me stop you. Okay. Because I'm not doing this to lose weight. I'm not doing this to change my body. I am quitting sugar and flour because I have an addiction, (laughs) y'all. I can't help myself. I quit drinking about four years ago at the beginning of the pandemic. And when I stopped drinking, I noticed, and I kind of really didn't do much about it, that I picked up sugar in its place. And I'm not proud of it, but there it is. (laughs) So four years of really being addicted to sugar, using it to cope, especially during my pregnancy, I was eating a lot of sugar to cope just because it was so uncomfortable. And like there was so much unknown and sugar was like excitement and also comfort. And um, it's kind of a lot of things for me, discovery. So, but I think it was mostly comfort to be real. So. I've been thinking about this for a long time. And I felt like after I was done breastfeeding, after a trip to Mexico City where I was eating my way, eating my eating the rest of the bread had left in the city, I just decided that it was time. So it's kind of wild. This is actually today is the same day that I quit smoking four years ago. I've quit a lot of things recently. And I find so much power in quitting. It's so hard to do it, truly, but when I do it, I'm like, I feel so resilient. And I honestly, I've never looked back on any of this. So very excited to commit to it. It's been a tough day. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. There have been some moments like this morning, I have recently been in the habit of enjoying a hot chocolate in the morning because I also don't drink caffeine. So instead of drinking coffee, drink hot chocolate. Do you see a correlation here? I quit caffeine, picked up sugar. 
So instead, I had to like make a tea and then have an orange and just get really excited about those two things and figure out how to enjoy them. Feels kind of like bringing down my expectations to reality a little bit. Like I've been kind of daydreaming through sugar and just being like, everything's fine. I can just eat this cookie and it'll be fine. And now I'm kind of like, I have to bring everything back down to reality. So I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but I hope it does. Um, In order to do so, I have a wellness coach through my insurance company who's amazing. I read a book uh, by Alan Carr about how to stop eating sugar. I did a ritual last night where I actually poured out the hot chocolate that I usually make in the morning in a trash can outside down the street, the same trash can that I threw my cigarettes in four years ago today. And I have a crystal that I carry around. It's actually like a little pendulum. And I carried it in my pocket to quit smoking. And anytime I was having a craving, I would just grab the crystal and really ground into my reasons why I was quitting. So I'm doing all that today. I'm just sharing with you because it's a good reminder to me about why I'm doing this. And it's kind of already been hard. I made my usual salad for lunch, mixed it all up together, and then realized the salad dressing had sugar in it. So um, it's just, there's a lot of sugar in my life or has been a lot of sugar. So this is a big change for me. But I'm very excited um, to be on the other side and just be in the moment and enjoy like literal fruit. That's my thing. I think that's going to kind of bring me closer to earth energy, which I'm excited about. (sighs) Thank you for listening to me. Thank you for listening to this check-in. I really appreciate it. I will report back to you on how this goes. Day one. It's like hour, I don't even know. 16? Hour 16. We're doing great over here. (laughs) Check back in a week. (laughs) All right. That's it for my check-in. Let's get to the episode. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm so excited to have Sarah Cohan with us. Welcome, Sarah. Oh my gosh. Hi. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, so excited to have you. And can you give a quick little intro of yourself to anyone who's listening? I would love to. So I'm a relationship and communication coach. And I honestly tend to help folks that are going through a breakup or they're still hung up on their ex. Um, And I really help them like just kind of clean up some old relationship patterns like people pleasing, not setting boundaries, avoiding boundaries at all costs. Um, and really helping them to just show up securely in relationships to like really create the relationships that they've always dreamed of. And to me, this work is, um, is like radically like transformative. So I'm really excited to be here and talk about it. That is amazing. And such like powerful, important work that so many people need. Um, I'm curious how you... Well, actually, first, really quick, I want to know what your sign and your HD type is. Oh, my God. Yes. Okay. So um, Virgo, Sun, um, Taurus, Moon. It's been a while since I've said these out loud. And then Sagittarius Rising. And it's Sag season tomorrow. So I'm like, cannot wait to get into it. And then, uh, yeah, my um, human design, I'm an emotional projector, 6'3". Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm a Sag Moon also, so love that. And I'm also a projector. Oh my God, I love that. And like, what type of projector are you? Three, five, splenic. Splenic. Oh my God. My 
I just had a baby boy and he is a splenic projector. So Oh my gosh. Congrats. Yeah. How old Thank is he? You. One years old. Oh One year God. old. That's what singular. A cute, <laughs> fun age. I feel like that's the age where it gets like so fun to dress them and like yes! take them to- <laughs> It's so fun. But yeah, so I'm trying to like raise him um according to his design, obviously in like a very consensual way. So um, would love to connect about being a splenic projector. I feel like that's very um, yes. particular. It is. Yeah. I'm definitely happy to discuss that. Um, it's been like, uh, when I first learned that, it was like I had to unlearn everything about what I was taught in society and like all the projections of other people. I was like, wow, this is really like illuminating. But it was hard for me to be like, okay, this is me and this is like my not self. So yeah. Oh, and then how do you get in touch with your intuition? Like, have you found the splenic part of it really helpful? Yeah. I think I've always been a person who's been pretty in touch with my intuition. What I did struggle Uh. with was like figuring out what was anxiety and what was intuition because like when, yeah, when it shows up as like, Ooh, I don't know if I like this situation. I'm like, is that my intuition or do I just feel anxious about it? Um, so, so that's powerful. been kind of, yeah, that's been a learning curve, but, um, yeah, I've been trying to do some more like intuitive practices to like build that. Cause it is a muscle. It's a muscle. Yeah. It's a muscle. Yeah. And I feel like there's so much literature out there about human design. That's like the spleen only speaks once and you have to listen. And I'm like, that is so much pressure to put on yourself. So I don't know if you're f- subscribing to that philosophy, but I feel like being, yeah, sharpening it, practicing it is like so important. Yes. Yes. And I, I'm probably going to read another book now about this now that we're chatting about it because <laughs> I just am such a little like nerd and I love I to love learn it. things. I love um, it. Anyways, I want to get into how did you first get into attachment style coaching? Yes. Um, okay. So it was a really slow process. I was hosting my podcast, Let AF Relationships. At the time, it was called Let AF. And I was interviewing all these peeps about personal growth and astrology and tarot and, you know, psychologists. And it was really like all over the map, but the whole kind of um, point of it was just to talk about healing. And I noticed that whenever I had guests on that talked about um, attachment styles, that I would just really light up about it. And like, oftentimes I was, you know, providing as much information as they were. And I was like, wow, this seems to be a topic where I'm like, really, really into it. So um, I had done a lot, a lot of work on healing my attachment style. I'm a recovering fearful avoidant. Now I'm earned secure. And I have just found this system. Thank you. Liz is applauding. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, so I have just found this system to be such, I mean, it's got its flaws, but it it's such an, uh, a helpful system for particularly me to be able to like get rid of old beliefs start to learn how to actually like communicate my needs, understand my needs, um, and then work on perfectionism because perfectionism was kind of like, it still is this whole topic in my healing journey and control, the control and perfectionism together. So um, I had dabbled in coaching, but I hadn't really loved it. And so I had a bunch of people like invite me to be a part of this coaching certification program. And I was like so hesitant to do it just because I was like, "Eh, I just really don't know if coaching's for me. I'm this podcast host. I'm like, I want to be like this kind of um, 
student along with the audience, right? Like I want to be learning with them. And um, I, I just felt like if I crossed the line into being a coach, that it would just change my whole dynamic and I wouldn't like be able to be like relatable. Oh my mm-hmm. God. It's so funny saying that out loud. So um, I ultimately ended up signing up for the certification course to be um, an integrated attachment coach through the personal development school. And I'm so glad I did it because I fucking love coaching. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> and I think what happened was I, I just needed um, a framework and I also needed to understand that I was coming from a place of serving people rather than a place of like telling people what to do. That was like such a, like a fine line of distinction that I think I was like struggling with before the program. So after doing the program, which was like a year and a half ago now, um, I like, I was doing all these practice sessions with folks and just like, I would walk away from the client session, just like beaming and glowing. Like there's no other kind of high in my life (laughs) than working with someone and like listening to them, sitting with them, hearing them be so vulnerable and then giving them the tools because they're the ones that are like in charge of their own transformation, giving them the tools to see things in a completely different way and start to show up differently in their life. So after I was after I did like a bunch of practice sessions, I was like, I think I actually want to open a coaching business. So um, a year ago, wow, in August, I opened my coaching business and haven't looked back since. Wow, and that's crazy. That was also around the time when your son was born. Yes, it happened like literally at the same time, which is not lost on me. It was just like so much birthing like happening in the world. Um, the timing of it was a little insane. <laughs> but I wouldn't have it any other way. Like it, yeah, it was, yeah, it all happened really magically. That's amazing. And from what I've heard about pregnancy too, is like, it is such a creative portal. Like you're like, yes. not only obviously building this babe building, whatever. Literally, um, you are, like you are. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. then like, but it also is such a beautiful time for like creativity. And yes. so I love how that timing worked out. And like, Focusing on yourself, not like kind of tuning out all the other noise because you have to be just like really like on it with yourself and your body and your health and your your energy levels. So yeah, I agree. It was just like the perfect time. And it's funny you say the like not relatable as a coach because I totally get that because there's coaches on Instagram that are just like how to, you know, reach six figures in one month. And you're like, what? Like, this is yes. not me. Like, that just seems fake. 100%. 100%. I was like, I just don't want to be that person, you know? Five tips to blah, blah, blah. And I'm not yeah. judging you if you do that. Like, you are helping someone. You are serving someone. But like, at the time, I was just like, I, that's just not me, you know? So... Totally. Totally. Yeah. And... Took a while. Yeah. Some of, them, some of them are doing great work, but, you know, yes. sometimes it is... A little cringy. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, but that's amazing that you healed your own. You said you were fearful avoidant. Yes. So do you should we go over the attachment styles? Let's go into it. I love this. Okay. Okay. D- before we start, um, do you have an attachment style that you kind of resonate with or that you were really exhibiting before? Yes. So actually I took your quiz and to be completely like honest, I'm, I don't have a partner. So I was kind of like, it was kind of focused on like your relationship with your partner. Mm. So I was kind of making some of it up, but mm-hmm. I, I'll tell you my results. I got 46% secure, 
23% fearful avoidant. All right. 15% anxious preoccupied and 15% dismissive avoidant. Love so, that. I love that. I, I always um, like to say that all the different attachment styles have different gifts that they're bringing to this world. So oftentimes when people are like looking at attachment styles or starting to do healing work, oftentimes we can like look at the end result of secure attachment as like, that's where I'm going and I have to get there. And if I exhibit any um, behavior that's insecure or more anxious, more dismissive, that's bad. And so what I like to say is that actually each attachment style is really here to show us different gifts in this world. So I'll go over the different attachment types, then I'll definitely talk about the gifts that they bring. Um, And I'll start with secure. So secure attachment style is basically the destination I, I like to say that it's all, obviously all about the journey when you're healing, um, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like the archetype that we're we're shooting for. And it's the beauty of the system to me is that there is this kind of um, archetype that you're looking for that's like giving you an example of how to show up in a relationship that is both supportive to you and to your partner. And when I say relationships, I'm also talking about friendships. I'm also talking about your relationship with your boss, your family, like your friends. It kind of you know, goes all over the map. So, um, so yeah, so secure, secure attached folks tend to show up in relationships in a very grounded kind of way. They tend to be in touch with their feelings. They can also process their feelings and they can feel safe processing their feelings alone or with someone else. So they understand the like natural give take of any relationship. Like, Sometimes you're giving more and then sometimes you're taking more. And they're, they totally understand that that's kind of the flow of any relationship. Um, they tend to want to resolve conflict pretty quickly. They want to like address things head on. Um, and they don't get into too many stories about um, like what things mean about them or um, – like just kind of like deeper core wounds that the insecure attachment types tend to have. So I'll go go into those in just a second. So um, the secure attachment style, really, their gift is to show us about interdependence. So that flow between one, like one and another. Um, and like I said, it's not about being perfectly secure. The biggest myth that I want to bust for anyone that's like healing their attachment style is secure folks also still have fights. They also still show up ugly in relationships. Like they're still they're still human. It's not that they don't fight. It's that they're able to repair after they have a fight. So it's not that they like don't fight dirty because they still do. I remember I was talking to my friend who is secure, and I was like, "Oh, I just had a, a big fight with my my husband, and I was screaming at him. I just feel so bad about it." And she's like, "Well, I don't actually know any other way to fight than to yell." And I was like. Oh. <laughs> I never thought about that. That's a really good point. Important distinction. A hundred percent. So I'm like, I just want to like bust any myths that anyone has about this like perfect life that secure folks are living. It's not perfect. It's actually really messy. And they're able to process their emotions around it being messy um, and learn to like they repair quickly with their partner. So repair just means like, um, actually I kind of love my favorite thing about repair is how silly it can be. Like after you have a big fight with someone, it can literally just be like, Hey, can you pass me the salt? Like if you're eating dinner or something or, <laughs> um, or like, Oh, did you see that TV show earlier today? Or, you know, like here's this meme and I love you so much. Like 
it's can be yeah. so simple. It's just saying to your partner, like, okay, that was like fucking crazy ass fight we just had, but we're still in each other's lives. Like you're still human. Mm-hmm. I'm still human. We're still in this like building together, you know? So that's secure. And then next I'll talk about anxious preoccupied. So the anxious preoccupied type tends to um, actually look towards others to help them process things. So they're very like um, outward community focused. Um, They tend to prioritize relationships over anything else. So their own needs and especially boundaries. They don't like to set boundaries because they feel like it compromises their relationship with other people, which I just like... If this is you, if you're hearing this and you feel like I'm roasting you, I'm sorry. But like, (laughs) I have so much empathy for you. Like, I have been here. I know what you're feeling. It's real. And um, the work for the anxious preoccupied is really to understand that they can meet their needs on their own. They can process their emotions on their own. And that communicating boundaries and, and your needs is actually a safe thing to do. And then another thing I have, oh, oh gosh, we got an exhale on that one. <laughs> yeah, no, I just, um, I also was watching one of your videos on like how your life work is boundaries. And I resonate yes. with what the anxious thing so much, but also mm. the boundaries, like I was not taught boundaries growing up. So mm. for me, like I have a fear of like abandonment when I set a boundary. Yeah. Yeah. It's so scary, right? Like, yeah. Is it like a full body reaction? Like what happens when you do it? Yeah, it is. And like my therapist, like in certain occasions has been like, you should be feeling like angry, but instead you're feeling sad. Like this doesn't (gasps) make sense. (laughs) Oh oh my gosh. Yeah. But like, it's so valid that you're feeling sad, right? Because you have this boundary that you have to communicate and your fear behind it is they're going to leave. Right. Or like if I did try to communicate a boundary and it's not getting met, like she was basically saying I should be angry, but instead I was sad. Yeah. Um, And then, yeah, it's just kind of like a sad, like acceptance, I guess. I don't know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And what's the sad, like what's the sadness about? Like after you've set a boundary and then you feel sad about it? Yeah. So I'll tell you the situation was like, I was dating this guy and like, he wasn't texting me that much. Cause he was like, apparently a bad texter. And mm-hmm. I had communicated that like, I would love if he texted me more. And so I was proud of myself for, for you. Like, bringing that up. Right. And then yes. he didn't really start texting me more at all. Yeah. Um, and so I gave him a little bit of time, but he wasn't doing it. And so mm. Uh, you know, I was just sad, but I was kind of like accepting it and Mm. keeping it on the back burner. Whereas my therapist was like, I don't know why you're like still putting up with this and why you're not angry. And I was like, Oh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm laughing. But it's just, it's so, it's just such a common thought pattern for an anxious preoccupied because what I'm guessing is happening is you're like, this person isn't doing what I need. And I need to keep them close. And so I'm really bummed that I'm not going to get this need met. Like, does that feel accurate? Yeah. Yeah. I think I was like afraid to like give, give it away fully. I was like, well, I still want this person. So like, I'll just take what I can get. Yes, exactly. He's meeting. So what happened was he was needing some needs for you, which could have been like attention, romance, like uh, physical touch, 
emotional connection, approval, like who knows, the list could go on and on. Mm-hmm. But what happens is he was meeting some needs for you, but he wasn't meeting a very big need for you. And so an anxious preoccupied can feel like, okay, well, they're meeting some of my needs and I need someone else to process. Like I really need someone else to help me like um, exist in this world, to be quite honest. So it can be really, really, really painful for you to be like, oh, this isn't enough. I'm going to let this go. Because that means that you're letting go of some connection, which is so scary. Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, no. So I think that's something that I'm still coming to terms with is like setting a boundary and not expecting someone to like necessarily meet it or also being like the most hard part is like being willing to walk away if it's not met. Um, So it's the hardest part. It's just the hardest part. Oh my gosh. I, yeah. Yeah, I really resonate with that. It's really hard. So um, I love that you you just brought up a lot of examples of how um, anxious, like common anxious preoccupied behavior. So anxious preoccupied folks tend to love texting throughout the day. They love constant communication. Um, and they they just like truly love to be around other people. And so um, when they date people, it's particularly dismissive avoidance who have the opposite need. They actually don't like to communicate and they feel like they're being controlled or they're losing freedom if someone is asking them to communicate more with them. What can happen is then the anxious preoccupied feels like um, this person like is, is withholding from them. And then that's where we get into this anxious, dis- oh, sorry, an anxious dismissive relationship, which is a really common and tough relationship pattern. Mm-hmm. Because what happens is these two, and I'll get into the dismissive in just a second, these two um, attachment styles are really trying to learn from each other. So that's why they're attracted to each other. So the dismissive avoidant who's like, oh, I really think I want to be in a relationship, but I'm scared and I don't really know how. The anxious preoccupied comes along and their gift to the world is being in community And so they see this anxious preoccupied and they're like, this person is so good at communicating and being in touch with people and just like being surrounded by others. And so they like are attracted to that. And then unfortunately, no no one's needs are getting met. Everyone's compromising. Everyone's getting resentful. And then oftentimes what will happen is the dismissive avoidant will start to ghost and just kind of um, slowly disappear, which will trigger the anxious attachment even more because they feel like they're losing the person. Does this sound familiar? <laughs> it definitely sounds familiar. And I've definitely been ghosted several times and, you know, had that dynamic show up in my life. And I've no. also been fearful avoidant at times as well, which is mm. why, um, yeah, I think that I'm like a combination of like, secure and like disorganized maybe. Um, but yeah, it is interesting that people, obviously, you know, you're drawn to someone because they have qualities that you lack maybe, but that's definitely not always the healthiest dynamic. Um, exactly. Can that relationship ever, like if let's say they were, these two were brought together and they both were really committed to making it work and becoming secure, could that dynamic ever work? Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Okay. And I like to look at it as like the again, each side, each attachment style is like bringing a gift to that relationship that will help them in the long run. So if you run a little bit more anxious, 
um, and you find yourself in a relationship with a dismissive avoidant, what I like to say is it only takes one person to make a secure relationship. And I'll use my relationship as an example. So I've done so much healing work. I've spent so much time on healing my attachment style and my husband could not be interested in working on any of that. <laughs> Which it, like at first I was like, but I don't understand. Like you don't get me. You know what I mean? And then I actually really had to understand like that's just who he is. He doesn't feel like he needs it and that is fine. And it's up to me to really show up in my like in my worldview as secure because that will help him show up more securely. So one thing I've actually started doing recently is apologizing more. I've got this like weird hang up around apologizing. I had like a very chaotic um, upbringing and my dad would, um, he would just like, oh my God, he would just be the worst for a couple of days. And then he would take everyone aside and apologize to them. And then he would not do anything about it. So he was so good at apologizing but he was also not ever like making any change. So it kind of like taught me that apologizing was fake and like didn't really help the situation. Mm. So fast forward to my relationship, which is so different, but I'm still bringing these like outdated strategies to it. So I felt like if I was apologizing, that meant that I had done something like out of this world bad and that I wouldn't, I wasn't necessarily taking it seriously to fix it. So I kind of felt like apologies just meant something, nothing. So I've had to like really change. I like actively when something goes wrong, I have to be like, Sarah, if you just apologize, that will kind of (laughs) give it a little bit of lubrication to move forward on the repair. It doesn't mean anything more than that. So I've started Mm -hmm. apologizing when I'm acting a fool and like not proud of my behavior, which happens sometimes. And what he started doing is apologizing after he's doing that as well. So it's like, it's just this amazing thing where it's like you start showing up as the person that you want to be in a relationship with. And then the other person just like starts doing that back and you don't even have to ask for it. It's really incredible. So it is possible. It's ideal if both of you are working on your attachment style, but like you're not always going to find that person that um, is interested in doing healing work at the same level as you are. So I just want to first be like, that's okay if your partner's not doing this. I want you to kind of pull out like what you're, what you can own from that, like what is in your control, and that's really like you and your behavior, and then um, really showing up as the person that you want to be. So being honest about your emotions, really being honest about your boundaries, and then when you're setting boundaries, you can even say like, I'm really actually scared to set this boundary. So just trying to be as vulnerable as possible whenever you're communicating around a need or a boundary. It's so hard. Yeah. I love that so much. Cause it's like, it's almost like mirroring, right? Like yes. he's me mirroring your good behavior of apologizing and yep. giving it back to you. Yeah. And do you think like your husband was secure when you met him? No, he runs more anxious, which is interesting. So I'm fearful or recovering from avoidant, which means that I, when I'm in a relationship with someone that either is more anxious or more dismissive, I will naturally go towards the other side of the attachment spectrum. So he's, um, throughout our relationship, definitely shown up more anxious. And I have shown up because of that, well, part of that, um, more dismissive avoidant. So definitely trying to. (laughs) trying not to share feelings as much as possible, using passive aggressive behavior instead of just being honest about what I need. Um, 
really needing a lot of alone time, which he always felt like was in conflict to our relationship. He took it very personal in the very beginning when I was like, I need alone time. Um, I didn't say it very well either, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know what? We were learning. So um, yeah, so I have leaned in the past way more dismissive avoidant, but as a fearful avoidant, I'm like constantly flipping between the two attachment styles. So so yeah, it's a spectrum and it's constantly shifting. That's what I'll say. Between fearful and avoidant? I thought those were kind of the same. Yeah. So let me talk more about the other two attachment styles. So dismissive okay. avoidant is um, the opposite of the anxious attachment. So they tend to um, love alone time. They really feel like they actually have to process by themselves. So if they have a big argument with someone, oftentimes what they need after the argument is alone time um, or like no touching. Like they just need to sit with themselves and actually process with themselves. Um they tend to have like this big fear of rejection and they don't feel like sharing their emotions is very safe. I will say anxious preoccupied tend to be really comfortable with their emotions. Um, and they can even like, just like they oftentimes won't understand like why it's so hard for a dismissive avoidant to share emotions. The reason it's so hard for them to have emotions or like exhibit emotions is it just wasn't safe when they were growing up. And that could mean that if they had emotions, they were rejected or they were like mocked or laughed at. I remember a very specific instance in my childhood when I was like crying to my dad and he just started laughing at me. I'm, he's, you know, we have a wonderful relationship now, but like it was such a tough moment in childhood, my childhood where I was like, okay, like we're going to lock this down. We're not going to like cry anymore. Like we're not going to have any emotion because this isn't safe. So I know it's so sad. So the work of the dismissive avoidant really is to start to get comfortable with their emotions. Oftentimes when I'm working with a dismissive avoidant, um, and we do a lot of somatic emotional processing work, they will start, they'll start. And I did the exact same thing when they're identifying their emotions, they'll describe them as cold, um, very like distorted. Like they can't really describe them. Um, gray, like foggy. They're just like not really in touch with their emotions. So eventually after doing some work together for a while, they'll be able to say like, okay, I feel it in my gut. It's kind of a hot temperature. It's got a prickly sensation to it, but it takes like a while to get there because they've been like clamping down the emotions for so long. Mm -hmm. So their gift to the world is really showing us like alone time is safe and that it's okay to be independent. Sorry, I, I felt like you were going to say something. I resonate with that a lot too. Yeah. Like it's interesting because do people have different um, attachment styles like throughout their lives? Because I feel yes. like I, when I was like a teenager, I was for sure dismissive avoidant, mm. um, and then now I swung almost like the opposite side of the spectrum, and now I'm like a little bit more anxious. Um, yeah, but. What could have caused that change? Yeah, it's definitely relationships that you're in and around. So um, high school, I would say it's pretty obvious. Like you're still in your home. You're, you're likely still with your same caregivers from childhood. Um, and you might be surrounded by more anxious folks at school. Does that, I'm curious, does that bring up anything? Um, I had a very unhealthy high school uh, boyfriend. Um, Mm. so that may have changed things a bit. Um, 
I also had some friends, some good friends who were like more on the anxious side. So maybe that had some impact as well. I think in general, my family tends to be pretty calm, cool, and collected um, Mm. and not speak about their emotions or really show emotions. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like a little bit more on the avoidance side. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. 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 So um, I would definitely say that your environment is like probably kind of led to all of that. And then as an adult, I'm curious, um, are there any kind of environments that you would describe that you're in that are a little bit more avoidant? So um, a relationship that you're in or even like a work dynamic or a friendship? Uh, Where I was avoidant? No, no, no. Where you were, someone else was like a little bit more avoidant. Mm, I would say I had a pretty secure, like a couple relatively secure relationships, like Mm -hmm. in adulthood. Um, And I don't know, maybe work wise, I felt like I couldn't really, um, I had to like tiptoe around certain people. I definitely Mm -hmm. felt that work wise. Um, and I think that that's also an area where I really struggle to set boundaries as well. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Can't really pinpoint anything else. No. At work, would you say, um, you have to tiptoe, like what would be, what would be the dynamic if you were kind of a little bit messier or like, um, you know, triggering somebody else? Well, I have had jobs, like not anymore, but jobs where I would get yelled at and like Mm. reprimanded and um, yeah, like emotionally abused even, like verbally, emotionally abused. Um, Yeah. So I have, I definitely have some like work trauma for sure. I'm so sorry. I've been through my own work trauma. It is the worst. But what I will say is that I'm so glad it happened because it led me to finding this work. Like. I was so deep in it and like just not communicating any of my needs or boundaries at work in like the worst possible way. And I found myself in the like most toxic environment. Um, But if I hadn't had gone through that, I don't think I would have realized how much like how badly I needed to learn how to communicate. Mm, Yeah. So that's really interesting because it seems like I was maybe – like I had one attachment style from my caregiver, which may have been more avoidant. And then mm-hmm. as I got older, I learned to be a little bit more anxious. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then I also have another question too related to this. And it's like, you know how we can have like different attachment styles with each person and like how they yes. treat us and what our relationship is. Obviously it's based on like how they treat us, but why is that? Um, that we can have, like, I could have a secure relationship with someone and have like a highly anxious one with someone else. Mm -hmm. It's like this, um, very unconscious way that we're constantly reading people, like, especially for an anxious or fearful avoidant, um, people it's, it's called hypervigilance. So hypervigilance is when you're reading someone as soon as they walk in the room for cues on how they're feeling um, what they're kind of needing in the moment, how they might react to you if you bring something up. Um, I didn't realize that I have been doing this 
my entire life. And especially any anyone who's listening that's anxious is like, yeah, I do that all the time. Because you're constantly scanning the room and just being like, okay, what does everybody else need that um, will make them feel more comfortable, feel safer so that I can feel safer? It's all about like your relationship to um, how other people are feeling and basing your basing your emotions and your emotional state on how other people are feeling. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like going on in the background when we're in a relationship with someone else. And so that's why when we're, let's say, um, you meet someone that's like a little bit more secure, you're going to have a little bit more of a secure relationship with them because they're they're showing up in a way of not making stories, like able to hear feedback, um, able to apologize, <laughs> able to repair. Um, so you're going to like naturally feel a little bit safer and like the kind of like, I almost feel like the bandwidth is just like a little bit larger for both of you to show up authentically and um, kind of be there for each other. Whereas let's say someone walks in the room that's a little bit more dismissive avoidant and they're not necessarily showing their emotion. They're not necessarily sharing a lot of things, um, but they're like so independent and um, they might feel like they've kind of like got it all together. But under the surface, let me tell you, the dismissive avoidant has a lot of anxiety (laughs) just manifests like in their body rather than in their actions because they're so good at just like keeping everything down. So mm-hmm. that's why your relation that's why your attachment style shows up so differently in different relationships. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah, that's yeah. super interesting. Um so it's kind of like on a subconscious level. Yes. Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. why all of my work is all about understanding what your subconscious is thinking and then actually like reprogramming through repetition to rewrite your like stories for abundance and like feeling like you're enough and feeling like you're worthy because guess what? You are. It's just the stories that you've been buying into your whole life that make you feel like you're not. Hmm. Yeah. And <clears throat> as someone who has been both anxious and like avoidant, yeah. I almost feel like I had more anxiety, strangely enough, yes. when I was avoidant because yes. I would build things up so much in my head that I'd be like, I just can't even deal with that. And it's like you almost dissociate. Yes. A hundred percent. And there's no outlet. It's so tough. It was so, so tough. Yeah. Okay. So I should um, go through the third, I should go through the, sorry, the final category, which is fearful avoidant, which is oh, disorganized. Yes. So okay. my least favorite thing about the attachment system is how many names there are for everything. So fearful avoidant is also called disorganized attachment, also known as anxious avoidant, preoccupied avoidant. There's another one that like kind of mashes up all the words. So this, um, this attachment style really is in the middle of the spectrum and they flip between being anxious and dismissive. And so this, um, attachment style showed up a little bit on the quiz, the quiz answers that you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. So, um, the beauty of this attachment style is that they thrive in chaos. So they tend to have a high need for novelty, a high need for change, Um, And this is just because they often had chaos in their home. And so um, they tend to show up in relationships with like a high, um, what's the word? Uh, Like a high level of emotion, but they're not necessarily showing it to each other or so someone else. So can they can like be really emotionally charged, like a super chaotic emotional state, but because maybe emotions weren't safe at home, 
they'll keep that inside. So they'll have like a really wild internal baseline of emotions. They can run hot and cold in relationships. They can, that also looks like one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake. So they'll be like, let's get together. Like, I really want to see you. And then as soon as they see you or they see you, they're, they're just like, whoa, 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 this is all moving too fast for me. Like I'm a little bit overwhelmed by this. Um, so their gift, like I said, their gift to the world really is to me that this, um, thriving in chaos and being able to like move through that in a way that none of the attachment, other attachment styles really can. Um, and I think it this is this is my attachment style that I've healed from. So I'm very passionate about this attachment style. It's also technically like the smallest population of the world. Is this one the one that kind of like craves drama? Like, ooh, this yes. is like so boring and like lame. Like, let's like stir the pot a little bit. Literally, yes. And sometimes they will do it unconsciously. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I think yes, it's funny because I have like when I was dating my one of my secure partners, um, I would sometimes get mad at him for nothing. And I'd be like, why do you never get mad at me? <laughs> like, I just wanted him to be mad at me. You're like trying to start a fight. Just get yeah. mad at me. I love it. Yeah. Yes. So like, even cool. Yeah. Oh, good for him. I love that. Like, he probably was unbothered completely by you being like, just get mad at me. <laughs> He was, but that almost like made me angrier because I was like, oh, like we just need to like have a fight. (laughs) Yes. And like oftentimes what happens when we're fighting is that we're connecting. And that might be like a totally backwards way to look at it. But actually, like if you think about it, and especially during your childhood, you might have learned how to connect through fighting. So again, if you're thinking fighting is this like um, horrible thing that you're trying to avoid as much as possible... Like, try to look at it as fighting is actually connecting. Like, that's when we're sharing with each other. And that's when we're, like, really being honest with each other. And we're showing each other, like, what we need and um, how we can help each other. Um, That's amazing. And great rundown. Thank you for going over all of that. Um, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I want to quickly loop back to something you said earlier. And, like, as a stubborn person, it can be very hard for me to apologize. How, how do you apologize when it feels like the last thing you want to do? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So like what, I'm so curious before I answer, what (laughs) does it feel like? Like what's, what's the, when you're like, fuck, I have to apologize and I don't want to. You mentioned stubborn, which I love. That's like Mm -hmm. taking me a long time to like accept my stubbornness as like a, a really cool thing. I'm curious, like, what comes up when you think about apologizing? Like, annoyance, like, dread. Dread. um, And, yeah, just, like, ickiness. Like, I don't want to do that. Yes. And then, like, almost disgust, right? Like, Yeah. What does it mean about you if you need to apologize or if you're, like, going to apologize? That I'm wrong and, like, I don't know. Yeah. 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 And if you're wrong, like typically we have stories about like, you know, I'm, I'm a bad person if I'm wrong or, um, I'm rejected if I'm wrong. Like we can have these deep, deep core wounds around being Mm -hmm. wrong. Yeah, definitely. So anytime we think that we're like bad or not enough, or you're going to be rejected, then your, your subconscious is like, 
I want to avoid this at all freaking costs. Like, I don't, there's nothing good about this. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to do any of this. So your brain is focused on the, I am bad rather than the, like, actually it's so safe. It's safe and a good thing, um, to repair through apology. Mm-hmm. How does that land when I say that? That's a good, um, affirmation. I yeah. like that. Yeah. But the problem, so what happens when we're working with our subconscious is we can be like, um, let's say like apologizing and owning your apology is like way over here. I'm using my hand. So it's on the left side. But your subconscious is like over here and it's like, I'm bad. It can be such a huge leap to get from I am bad to it's safe to apologize. Mm -hmm. So what happens is what we need to do, and this is a tool that I use with clients, is we need to like show our brain through examples that we're actually good. Or that we're actually accepted. If, if like I'm rejected is the big scary thing, then we have to like go through seven different examples where we are good. And the thing about using examples rather than affirmation is that examples speaks directly to your subconscious. So examples like show like your subconscious thinks in um, emotion and imagery. So when you use like, okay, I was good today because I said hello to a stranger on the street. I was good today because I took the time to get up and drop my son off to school. I was good today because I got to work on time. It can be really simple, easy wins. But when we're showing our subconscious through pictures and emotion that we are good, then it's going to close the gap to the apology. So all of a sudden your brain is like, oh, I am good. Okay. And then this is this like hard thing that I can handle right now. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we just use an affirmation that's like, apologies are good. Our subconscious is like, I'm not fucking buying that. Like that's bullshit. <laughs> yeah. And that's too hard for your subconscious to like wrap its mind around. Does that make sense? Yes. A hundred percent. Thank you for yeah. going into that. Oh my God. Um, yeah. Yeah. I have a few questions that my friends wanted me to go over. So I'm going to, Oh my God, I love that. one of them is, um, usually like, Attachment style is talked about in um, romantic relationships or within early childhood relationships, of course. Um, Mm -hmm. But how does it show up in adult friendships and also adult familial relationships? And could the attachment style you show up with in romantic relationships differ from friendships or are they closely related? Yes. Yes. And they are closely related. So, um, as we were talking about earlier, so if if you have a friend that come, like you have a friend, you've made a friend, and they um, are showing up a little bit more anxious, that's going to naturally uh, inspire your attachment system to swing a little bit more in the other direction, so a little bit more dismissive avoidant. And I would say, I would just say, like, have fun with this. Like, try to see. Just like, you know, track, like, how am I showing up today in this relationship? Am I, am I being forthcoming with my emotions? Am I sharing my needs and my boundaries? Or do I feel a little bit more reserved? And like, I'm trying to kind of hold it all inside. And that can help you understand like, okay, yeah, maybe I am showing up a little bit more dismissive or a little bit more anxious in this relationship. I would even go far as to say that we also have um, an attachment to money and our career. So go to me, it goes far beyond just our relationships with friends, um, family, coworkers, bosses. 
clients. I mean, the list goes on, but like to me, it also goes to money. So like anything that we feel an attachment towards, we can show up in either an insecure way or a secure way towards it. So I used to be really fearful, avoidant with money. I'm like, I want you come here. And then as soon as I had it, I would spend it all. And I eventually got into $20,000 worth of credit card debt because I didn't, I was like, I can't have this near me. This doesn't feel Mm -hmm. safe. But I want it. Please come. <laughs> yeah. And then get rid of it all. No, that really resonates, I think. Uh, I've read a, a, a book on like creating money. And it is a lot about like your attachment style and your relationship to money, uh, yeah. um, which is interesting. And then also, so kind of going off of this, like, do you, it seems like I kind of already maybe know the answer, but do you typically inherit your attachment style from the style of your caregiver or is it um, like, would it become the opposite? So like if they're anxious, you'd be avoided and vice versa. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's a great question because if you have multiple caregivers that will like you have kind of you're experiencing both of those attachment styles together. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'll give myself as an example for this. I inherited my mom's attachment style, which, well, actually, technically, my parents have like similar attachment styles, but very different manifestations of it. Um, but I feel like I just modeled a lot of my behavior off of my mom's behavior. So, a lot of permissive parenting, a lot of people pleasing. Mm-hmm. Um, not a whole lot of belief in myself, just really looking towards others to give me validation and approval. My dad, not so much. He um, he's, has more of a narcissistic parent parenting style. And I would often judge his, um, his behavior and characteristics. And so you know, I kind of put that into the shadow, which is like a whole Jungian thing, which I don't necessarily want to get into. But really, I would... Um, I would judge his traits that he would exhibit, such as um, like being really um, like overly confident, um, very charismatic. I was like, ooh, there's just like something not safe about this. Um, just so much yelling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm laughing about it now, but as a kid, it was so scary. <laughs> so I would judge those traits and then I would ju- like I would try to repress them as much as possible in myself. So I hope that kind of answers the question. It's like you can take on one style of of your parents. Um, and then oftentimes what will happen is you'll try to repress the traits that you judge in the other parent. Yes, that does make sense for sure. It's like repelling the traits that you don't want and then taking on the um, complementary traits. Yes. Um, yeah. And then one last question on that. Um, do Are there any known correlations between attachment styles and personality disorders? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's a lot of similar patterns in um, different attachment styles and personality disorders. I don't want anyone to get like an too caught up on labels um, and disorders. And I will also just say that I am I am an attachment coach. I'm not a therapist or a psychologist in any way. Um, but what, what I have seen is that um, borderline personality disorder, schizophrenia, a lot of those attachment, or sorry, a lot of those um, disorders tend to lean towards the fearful avoidant attachment style. And I've heard that um, folks that are um, using CPT treatment, cognitive behavioral therapy treatment for that, or DBT, 
dialectical behavior treatment, um, tend to use healing their fearful avoidant attachment style as one way to kind of enter into healing that disorder. And then the narcissistic personality disorder tends to be a little bit more dismissive avoidant. So those are the correlations I've seen so far. Um, I think it's fascinating stuff. I have so much empathy for anyone that has been diagnosed um, with any of these disorders and also anyone that is in a relationship with someone that has been diagnosed with these disorders. And I really hope that you approach it with just so, so, so much compassion and grace because it is oh, it is so, so, so tough. And oftentimes we can make a lot of meaning about um, having a disorder and or being in a relationship with someone with a disorder. So go easy on mm-hmm. yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Thank you for that. And um, if you, I, I want to be cognizant of the time. Um, yeah. If, can we? Can you leave the audience with um, one piece of advice if they are struggling with attachment style or in their relationship? Yes. If you're struggling with um, old patterns, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna say people pleasing. If you're struggling with people pleasing, I want you to know that first of all, you like learned. You learned this in your childhood in order to stay safe. So I really hope you're not judging yourself for this behavior. I got judged a lot by my family for being such a people pleaser. And honestly, (laughs) they're the ones that taught me how to be a people pleaser, right? Like I was trying so hard to fit in and I was trying so hard to get approval from them. And um, I just used this outdated strategy to get approval and love from them. So if you are struggling with people pleasing, I just, first of all, I want you to have so much compassion for it. And anytime that you find yourself um, in that mode where you're just focused on everyone else instead of yourself, I would just invite you to remember that your needs are just as important as everyone else's. And it's okay to accept support. You're not a burden. You're not needy. You're not unlovable. It doesn't mean anything about you if you want your needs to be met and that someone is offering you support to meet them. So I'll leave it there. Wow. Yeah, that was amazing. This episode was such a breath of fresh air. How can the audience get in touch with you? And are you doing any special offers right now? Yes. Um, So if you want to get in touch with me, you can come find me at sarahcohan.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-C-O-H-A-N.com. You can listen to my podcast called Lit AF Relationships, where um, I talk about healing attachment styles. And then I also have folks on that have healed their attachment style. It's so powerful. Um, I would love to hear from you. And um, if you want a script, I'm like doing a little script giveaway. So oftentimes what I'm working on with clients with is creating scripts to communicate with their loved ones. Sorry, excuse me. That's so helpful. It's so helpful. And so it's based on the five love languages. So I have a script for each of the love languages. So if you find yourself in a tough spot with like your friend and you need to ask them for support, but you're just like, you're like in freeze mode where you're like, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. I don't know what the right thing is to do. And I don't want to upset them. Like these scripts will help you kind of just break through that and give you an easy kind of fill in the blank. Like I just need a hug right now. Um, I just want to spend some quality time with you. It, it just gives you like an easy breezy, very supportive way to ask for your need to be met. So if you're interested in downloading those, it's a free PDF. Go to sarahcohan.com forward slash free tools. 
Amazing. Thank you so much, Sarah. This has been like information packed and also like you're such a bubbly, sweet person. So I really appreciate connecting with you. Thank you. This has been so fun. And thank you for all your vulnerability and sharing. It helps people understand so much better. Like it's just amazing. Just here to help. (laughs) Yes. I love it. Thanks, Liz. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Liz. Wasn't she amazing? I just absolutely had a blast being on her podcast. It was such an honor to be there and have this conversation with her. Thank you for listening here. And of course, if you are interested in really creating secure relationships across the board with friends, in um, romantic partners, with your work 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 family. I would love to help you. I do one-on-one coaching um, with clients um, through weekly sessions to help them actually build solid change in their lives. I've seen amazing, amazing transformation. And I want that for you. It is absolutely possible to change your attachment style. I don't ever want learning about your attachment style to feel like claustrophobic or like you've got this kind of diagnosis that you don't know how to deal with. I'm hoping that it really is a way, a tool for you to start to create change in your life. So see this for you. I'm excited for you. You can book a free discovery call to see if this program is the right fit for you. You can do that at sarahcohan.com forward slash coaching. That's S-A-R-A-H-C-O-H-A-N.com forward slash coaching. I hope to see you there. It's a zero pressure call. I'm just trying to help you get to an answer, whether that's yes or a no. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and I look forward to seeing you right back here next week. Thanks so much. 